This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Uh, It is Mother's Day, and one of the blessings that I have is, first of all, I'm married to one of the, I mean, the best mom on the planet, Shannon Tyler. Happy Mother's Day. We've been a little busy this morning. We haven't actually seen each other. So happy Mother's Day, Shannon. Um, As I was praying through what the Lord was wanting for us on this day, um, honestly, the the name Helen Smallbone came up in my mind, and then David called, and it was like, okay, I think this is what the Lord wants for us. Um, If you don't know who Helen is, she is uh, the brains, the looks, uh, everything behind uh, Rebecca St. James for King and Country, like she's the matriarch of this. And I've known Helen for a very long time and I've seen her uh, literally pray for, I've just seen her be a mom that's an example that I think a lot of us could learn from. So would you guys welcome Helen Smallbone? You. you can come and sit in between my two ferns. I'm a tad intimidated after, after Ben's oh, prayer now. Well, me too, sort of... right? I'm going to dust it off my resume after that. Like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you for being here. So uh, Helen, I think, is the first person in the history of our church that actually did a Fox and Friends interview before oh, coming gosh. to church this morning. Yeah, God's stretching me big time. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, it was actually amazing. Um, and so uh, for those that don't know, can you tell us, like, like, I don't know, who you are and what God has done in, in just the last 35 years, 40 years of your life? Like, <laughs> well, like, 30 years ago, we actually had a pretty normal life, except that we weren't on America, we were in Australia. Um, but um, my husband, we've actually been in Christian music since the, really, I realize it's just about since its birth. Yeah. Uh, but we were in Australia. Um, Rebecca, who is Rebecca St. James, her first concert was a six-week-old baby, Huh. My husband had promoted the concert. It was a, in the Sydney Opera House. And Who Larry, was it? Larry Norman. So that concert. was Rebecca's first concert? Was first Larry concert. Norman? And he, he, he even made what? the comment at the end of it, gosh, did I hear? Oh, I did hear a baby crying in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Rebecca. Um, so we were in Christian music back in Australia for about 15 years. And then we lost um, a quarter of a million dollars on a tour knew that this was going to be major life change. This was at the end of the 80s. How old were you when that happened? Um, Maybe ballpark, About 33. So you lost a quarter of a million dollars at 33 years old. That's a lot of money in the early Well, my husband probably was more (laughs) responsible than I was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If we really get it, but yeah, as a family. So David lost your quarter of a million dollars. It did mean major life change. It meant selling our home, um, moving states, uh, downsizing everything, trying to pay back. But obviously, we still were in debt at the end of it, looking for new opportunities. We had doors closing back in Australia, and the only door that seemed to make sense and open was coming here. So in 1991, with six kids, I was pregnant with our seventh. No health insurance, no nest egg to fall back on financially. We uh, made the trip over to Nashville uh, for David to start a new job uh, as management to a Christian artist here in Nashville. He lost that job after two months. And that's really when God 
taught us all we needed, not all we needed, but took us on a new journey, started us on a new way. Um, As we lived by faith, um, we started working together as a family. Uh, The kids were, um, Rebecca was 14, so it impacted her. Hmm. Um, 14, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we were 14 and then our youngest, Libby, was born here. So we have bookend girls and five boys in the middle. Wow. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, looking at David right now, even like um, something that you guys did, since I can remember, uh, that we actually emulated in my company with my clients uh, in the old days was, there was always like a devotional, like there was like a church kind of Mm -hmm. setting because young artists that are on the road they're gone on Sundays, so you could go literally months without any sort of like a fellowship, a church, a word experience. And so you guys, and I think you still do that, mm. right? There's... It's so easy in life to lose our focus. Yeah. And, and in music, when you are traveling, you're in your own little, I don't know, world in a way. You're isolated from friends and family accountability. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get off track. But I think it's easy for any of us as we get super involved in work or whatever to actually lose the focus of who we are and who we're called to be. And by having that every day, uh, you know, it's usually evening at the catering and Dave breaks out the Bible and... Uh and we did, we would emulate that with the, with the tours that I was on. We actually hired, if you remember, Brad Duncan. He became like our road pastor slash road manager. And we hired him specifically because he had pastoral gifting to mm-hmm. him. And, uh, and even, I guess in that, it was like, it was your kids, but it was also being an example to others mm-hmm. in, in the world. I do remember also that you guys used to, so I know like now you guys are super cool to get in your, your van, hashtag van life. And go park at the Grand Canyon and, you know, do homeschool there or whatever like that. So that's cool now. But in the 90s, that was kind of nuts, the, the idea of it. Well, there was no, you couldn't even, there was no Instagram, so you couldn't even keep well, track. Well, I, I even think when we, we started homeschooling just before we left Australia, uh, sort of circumstantially, when we got here, we still had to knuckle down um, because we were... I don't know, pretty pushed to the edge that we needed each other. We relied on each other. And so we continued to homeschooling and then God really opened that door by us doing the the way we actually put food on the table was not only the generosity of people who understood our circumstances in our neighbourhood and church, um, but it was also the kids who ended up working. So Rebecca at age 14, 15 had a babysitting business uh, well, she was babysitting for local people in the mm-hmm. in the neighbourhood. Uh, she was cleaning. Some of the houses were so big that she would bring myself and, and one of our sons in to help clean. We were mowing, raking lawns, doing all the things that I I say Americans don't like to do. Um, <laughs> but, but it did actually help put food on the table. She's not um, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we learned to work together. It's amazing how God leads you because... We were doing this and everybody had a part to play because even our three-year-old was pushing the stroller with the baby in it and that meant that I then could do something else. So everybody realised they had a role to play. Then that moved over then into us once Rebecca was signed, um, she had a record deal, we were touring, that we would move, go together as a family, again because we just needed to be together. Yeah. And then the kids ended up learning the skills that they've got 
yeah. from those early days of supporting. They ended up being a crew. The boys are never really sure whether it was because David saw cheap labour or free labour or, uh, <laughs> or whether there was any more intention in it yeah. than that of keeping them out of mischief. But anyway, we travelled in that RV and uh, the boys and were Rebecca's crew. And it, uh, yeah, so what's funny is that, so it is, it's like Micro's Dirty Jobs, but like with lights and stuff, like they were learning a skill. They were learning skills. That, funny enough, later in life, like we would hire Daniel to do lighting for our tours. Uh -huh. uh, Luke actually was running lights on one of our tours. Uh -huh. like, um, so these skills they were learning, this free labor that they were getting actually put them in an interesting position for later in their life, filmmaking, right, with Ben. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I, you know, I guess I think about that, like, so we're thinking of this in hindsight, and we saw how it turned out, but in the moment, did it, like, how did you feel in the moment? Like, when you've got kids out there making money and you're all trying to survive together, like, what was going through your mind? I think I was very happy that we were together, to hmm. tell you the honest truth. I felt there was a security and a strength in being together. And I think that's one of the reasons why God puts us in families to actually support. We're on the same team. You know, we're supporting each other uh, for what, because life throws some pretty strong curveballs, and this was enabling us to grow strong together. Um, obviously, in that too, we're knocking off a few rough edges because you don't stay. Yes, there were nine of us in that RV. You don't stay in an RV with nine people and some rambunctious kids without having to offer, be patient and offer some yeah. grace and learn to modify your behavior because otherwise you're gonna kill each other. And this, <laughs> and to, to be clear, this was not a Williamson County RV, like with the slide outs and the, this was like a Winnebago. Uh, it, was, it wasn't super fancy, no. No, it wasn't big. <laughs> um, but like, I actually remember the, at one point you guys had a bus behind you with crew and whatever, but you still kept the family for the most part mm. in the RV. Mm. I think one of the blessings that that is that I, as I look back on our life, like the, as our lives got better, whatever, we had bigger houses, which meant we had rooms and it was, there was actually a place for all the kids to escape. We all could separate from each other, which in the moments feels like, oh, I want some peace and quiet. But when you're forced to be together in a room like that, it actually forces a unity. It, it, it changes uh, things, it yeah. really does. And I think it, it makes, the fascinating thing is when you talk about being in bigger homes, I mean, our home is reasonably sized but, I mean, we, we had three boys in the one room mm. and Luke, who's in Fakian Country, actually married at 21 or 22 from sharing a room with two brothers. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, we definitely lived an alternative lifestyle, that's for yeah. sure. And at one point, didn't you have like Darren Whitehead and Zach Kelm living in your basement? Yeah, we, my, I grew up in a pastor's home <laughs> and, uh, and we used to have, we, I have three older brothers and my parents would have boarders um, because she figured to feed four guys was no different to three and three. And so we would have people uh, live with us in order to help them, but also to help pay bills. And so it seemed a natural follow through that when we had people who were in need, uh, we would take in extra people. So yes, Zach Kelm lived in the basement, I think for yeah. maybe four or five years. Darren Whitehead lived in the basement for two years. Darren's so. the pastor at Church of the City <laughs> off the road. Um, yeah. So he came out, I came out of their basement. Yeah. Um, as a mom, you have lived through, I guess your oldest is 44, so four decades of parenting now. Uh-huh. And uh, we've survived two and a half decades of 
parenting so far. But I can well tell done. you that in, in the two and a half decades that we've been at this, that it has changed. Society mm-hmm. has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the assault on the family started uh, well before 1990s or 80s. Uh, by the time, you know, Al Bundy making the dad look like a doofus and, you know, the... the I mean, and heck, I mean, every Disney movie, they kill the parents, like, in the first... You know what I mean? Like, Bam, they killed Bambi's mom, like, in the first part of the movie. Like, like and now you read what's happening. There there's, does seem to be a very purposeful idea going on. I don't know if that's why they killed Bambi's parents or not, but, but a very purposeful um, attack on mm-hmm. the, the family, especially a biblical definition of a family, mm-hmm. the, the definition of gender, mm-hmm. definition of what marriage is. But you are now a, a mom in front of a bunch of moms and dads in here. Like, what are your thoughts right now in this culture, in this moment? What are your thoughts on the role of a mom right now? Uh, for one, I, I'm very um, thrilled that God um, called me to be a, a mom. And I know all of us have different journeys um, to know that he has used your body to grow a new life. Is to be the greatest privilege and yeah. miracle that there is. So I also recognise that mums play such a vital role in the family. Um, it is probably the hardest, most unrecognised, um, most enduring, and one of the most rewarding roles I think there is in society. Um, my charge, though, mums, well, for mums. Look after yourself, prioritise yourself to some, you know, have a little bit of self-care in there. For me, I recognise that if I didn't take an hour out approximately a day, by the end of the day when the pressures are on, meal, bed, tired kids, tired everybody, I didn't really like myself. Um, But for me to take an hour out and just have some refresh time was pacing myself so that I had enough energy and enough um, strength to deal with the curveballs that life throws mm. you. But I, in thinking about, I know Satan is about destroying our families and it starts with destroying our marriages. Mm. Um, and I realised, I was thinking about it just before we actually started this service, I recognise that part of his attack has actually been going on for a long while and it was to men. The women's lib movement made weaker men Mm. because the women were competing with men. Instead of realising that their roles are complementary, a lot of women can get distorted that they are competing. And And it's not the biblical truth. And we can easily get distorted, even in the church, as to what is truth. Yeah. And Ephesians 5 specifically lays out the roles for a husband, the roles for a wife, and the role for a child. And my charge to you men is to take seriously reading Ephesians 5 because you are called to such a high calling. And if you get your stuff right, it flows down as in your leadership to everybody in the family. And the, the, the crazy thing is you're told to love your wives. Now, wives, theoretically, aren't told to love their husbands. They're just told to respect their husbands, which, you know, anyway, I think we... <laughs> but, but husbands are told to love their wives. Now, how, what does that look, look like? 
We're told to love your wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. That's the love that you're called to. That's the model that has been set for you as the husband and father in your home. And there's a there's another phrase, actually, you mentioned the message, how it always has interesting thing. In the message in this passage, it says, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Hmm. And cherishing isn't a word that we hear of as much anymore. Hmm. And cherishing has an extra depth. When you love your wife, and it also says, as you love yourself, if you're in body, you love yourself, and as Christ loved the church. So, you, guys, the bar is really high for you guys. If you get it right, your wife will want to respect you because she knows she is supported and loved. Hmm. So it starts, I think, if my charge was to go to anybody to the health of the home, it would be the husband. Yeah. Yeah, because in that context, when it's Ephesians 5, right, that uh -huh. uh, wives and husbands, but um, respect is earned. It's not a gift. True. And which does make it complicated, right? Because if I'm not being respected, it might not being respectable. And I love what Jordan Peterson says. If, if you're worried about what strong men can do to the world, wait till you see what weak men will do. Right. Being a strong man is specifically being shamed, um, toxic, you know, mm -hmm. whatever language they're using. Um, but that, like what we just saw with Ben here, like a strong man... Uh, is what this country has a dearth of. We do not have an excess of uh, masculinity. We have a uh, famine of it right now. And in our homes and in our churches, uh, the call of being you know, strong and courageous from Joshua is a call uh, to, to our nation, but also to our, especially to our families. It is. Um, in that regard, um, you know, the idea of respecting and, and loving, like how does that play out then? So with, uh, I mean, you, you've got this whole crop of kids, they're all, they're all grown now. How did, you how did you do the dance of like protecting your relationship right, with David when you've got the needs of these children who are now grownups, but they weren't always grownups? How, how did you, you balance that out? As husband and wife, you have to protect that relationship. It becomes the most important relationship. I remember a James Dobson quote that spoke very strongly, particularly to my husband. The best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mum. Hmm. And wives and mums, the best thing we can do is prioritise our husband. A lot of times we so put the kids up on a pedestal, we put the kids, pour our lives into our children, which is right, you've got to love your husband. You've got to leave enough in your bank to be able to love him and to love him well. Yeah. And to recognize, by the way, that in Middle Tennessee especially, it's incredibly expensive to live here, which means many, if not most moms in the room are working, which means you're, not, you're going in working all day and trying to be a mom and, and to be a husband. And just to recognize, by the way, that, that is, that's a challenge. And, you, and still, like, it's not selfish for you. I mean, Jesus withdrew to pray. Our, our ultimate example is Jesus. I don't know that he needed a nap, but he was, if nothing else, modeling for us 
that time in the word. One of the things my wife does every morning, I know when she's up because I can hear the Dwell app with this British guy reading the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter five. Um, (laughs) Because she's got the word going. It's like she's found time and my wife is extremely busy with what's going on, but she's making time in it. But to say to you that, even with that, to recognize that, there's a, um, that it's difficult, but also to recognize that it's, that's not selfish to, to, to defend some mm-hmm. time in the Word, to, to defend some time in prayer, uh, to withdraw to pray, uh, send your kids to their rooms. Do people still send kids to rooms? Because <laughs> now it's like you don't want them there because that's where all the video games are. So it used to be punishment. Now it's like, whew, yeah. Um, I think uh, a lot of kids these days are struggling... Um, emotionally because Hmm. they are not given enough free time. When I say free time, I'm not meaning, oh, gosh, I can turn the TV on or I can turn the video games on. I mean with nothing to do where they're nearly even bored. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. boredom is... We look at boredom as if a kid comes and says, oh, I'm bored, that we're doing something wrong. We need to fill that space. Boredom is actually a great gift because then we sit down and we slow down and we stop. And that's when a lot of creativity, a lot of creative play happens. A lot of creativity is because it's like, well, now I can look around and find something to do. And for us as adults, we model it too. We've got to be slow. Jesus was never in a hurry, never in a hurry. He always took that time off. And one thing that God shows us in Genesis, Sabbath. Something yeah. I think as a culture we've actually learnt, like lost to actually have Sabbath, to have a whole day of rest where it looks different from every other day of the week, where we actually allow ourselves to stop. Yeah. And I'm very mindful, you know, I've got a little bit of, we've got a little bit of a farm here in Franklin, and I'm very mindful that in nature and in creation, we actually see God, and, the, and, and it says in some, be still and know that I am God. And I sometimes wonder whether we don't see God enough because we don't stop enough hmm. to I just sit. We become so productive. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of time I've spent in developing nations, uh, which is a lot, uh, they might be poor financially in, in many of these places, mm-hmm. but they're very rich in relationship because, you know, go to your room, they have like a room, the whole house is a room. Mm-hmm. They live outside, they sleep inside, but there's this connectivity, this relationship, right, Rhonda, that happens that, so if anybody's traveled to whether it's Africa, Honduras, wherever you, the first thing you'll notice is, man, these kids are so happy mm-hmm. and they've got nothing but there's something that in that, and it doesn't mean that I, you know, we need to all become monks and you know, move out into Kalioka and start a, a plantation or cult or whatever, but, we, but it, there is something about that that maybe we could learn that we have to like, like raging against the culture is to say that whatever you know, we've got here that's such a blessing can also uh, steal from what God wants to do in our hearts. I mean, you know, when we were little, like I remember, I mean, that's usually where I get stitches, honestly, but we go outside, there's, no, you mm-hmm. know, and, and so we did, and we just mm-hmm. figured stuff out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's boredom. Yes, that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, just go out and figure something out. Yeah. And it's amazing what creativity comes from that and what time. 
My other challenge to both men and women and to mums, if you're having a pity party, I call it a pity party, you're feeling sorry for yourself, then something's off because everything that we do should be done for Jesus, everything. So Mm. whether you're changing diapers, cooking meals, everything we do should be done as a gift to him. And if we're starting to feel sorry for ourselves, like, well, you're not picking up, you're not doing this, attacking people, attacking relationships that we love the most, then there's something off. And I encourage you just to take a few minutes to realise, well, I'm probably not replenishing enough that I don't have enough to give. Hmm. Um, so take again that time. And you can, it can be for men too. We're so filling the empty spaces yeah. that we, well, we're so filling every space that we have no empty spaces to sit and yeah. replenish. Yeah, that's actually, that's really good because I think that, you know, for somebody uh, like, like Shannon and I, like we work together, we are married, we live together, like every, so even with that, there's a challenge to not make every conversation about the work and the ministry yeah. and, the, and the, you know, the idea of withdrawing. Like we have to like proactively, and we work at it and we mess it up and we come back and try again mm-hmm. and mess it up. And it's, it's, there's like a, there's a, literally a war against that in our lives that it's gonna require a very proactive uh, effort on our parts to fight against it. And, and for those of you moms that, and dads for that matter, that feel overwhelmed, like there's, a, a, there's kind of a cool, I don't know if it's cool or not, but moms on Instagram or social media, and, and the idea I think comes from a good place, which we want to be authentic, we want to be real about how hard it is. And, but then like the whole platform becomes about being how hard it is to be a mom. And by the way, your kids are reading that just think about that before you post it. My kids might read this. But if we're doing it as unto the Lord, even when it's hard, mm. we're giving praise to him with it so we don't dishonor our children just by how hard it is. Um, it's not that you can't be authentic or whatever, but, but the idea that, um, that what Jesus has called you to do as a mom, me as a father, yeah, there's funny moments. Th- those are totally whatever. But, but the idea that the, this actually become almost like a movement now across some social media platforms to complain about being a parent and how hard it is and making fun of our kids with it and because it's funny and it's ha-ha and people click on it and like it. But it doesn't glorify God and it sure doesn't glorify our kids. And it's focusing on a part that I think that God wants to, you know, he's given us this privilege, right, this honor. It's definitely a privilege. And the thing that I want to say to families that are here, um, when God entrusts a child into your care, whether by birth, adoption, foster, whatever, when God entrusts a child into your care, you're actually changing the world of tomorrow. Because the the legacy that we live and the legacy is in our kids, Mm. but the legacy that we live is actually what is going to be the world of tomorrow. So I view my parenting really as I'm changing the life of tomorrow, the the, the life that I'm going to, the world that I'm leaving one child at a time because I can impact the life of that one child. And and when we view it as that, and I I suppose I also have another mind game, I don't know whether it's a mind game, but like an outlook I have in my mind that as a mum, it's a privilege for me to serve my family because I'm very mindful that when Jesus came, 
He came to serve and not to be served. So I see the role of mums, and for you men, value this in your wives, in your children's mother. Um, I see the role of motherhood as being the most Jesus-like role because they're called to love and they're called to serve. Yeah, and you think about it, Jesus, his, my body, this is my body broken for you. And uh, um, the modern Western culture right now is saying, my body, my choice. And the kingdom of God says, no, my body was broken for mm -hmm. you. Like, it's a great privilege for us. There's a reason why motherhood is under attack. There's a reason why, people, uh, you know, the, the Psalm, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? Like, it's, there's a, uh, there is a demonic presence that wants to attack even mothers yourself to say that this is just a choice and it's not, it's an honor and it's, it's a privilege to, mm -hmm. to partner with God in creation. <laughs> that's not a choice, that's an honor and a privilege. And, and as a church, I want you guys to know that whatever happens with the, you know, the laws and stuff as they change, um, we gave $105,000 to pregnancy centers in Middle Tennessee last month. We will do whatever it takes as a church family to evade this law, and I pray that it does. This is actually just bad law in general, and I pray that if it changes this summer, that we as a church family rise up to do whatever we can through adoption, through foster care, through helping pregnancy centers to honor those moms that are getting to choose life for their children. Um, uh, one last thing before we, we go here. Uh, I was reading Proverbs 31 this morning, and I actually was thinking, this really f is fitting of Helen because, first of all, I don't know if you know this, but Proverbs 31 was actually Bathsheba. It wasn't, it's actually a song that he says, uh, verse uh, one, it says this is the, the, saying, the sayings of King Lemuel, inspired utterance his mother taught him. This is Bathsheba saying, mm -hmm. this, is, this is Bathsheba at the end of her life teaching Solomon, what it meant to be a good wife, what his wife, what a good wife would be. And I was thinking like, you know, you're, you're on the road, you're folding t-shirts, right? You're, uh, you're selling, and it says that she makes, verse 24, she makes garments and sells them, <laughs> uh, supplies the merchants with sashes, she's clothed with strength and dignity. Uh, there's this whole thing about uh, what a mom can be, what a wife can be, and I know that personally that some of you all feel shame because I can't be all of this. So you read Proverbs 31 and think, uh, what hope is there for me? I can't do all of this. But this was Bathsheba's life, not Bathsheba's Tuesday. Like, you know what I mean? She was looking back over her life. There are seasons. You're not selling t-shirts anymore. No. But you used to. Mm. Like that was a season that you were in. Like verse 15, she gets up at night while it is still night. She provides food for her family. You new mamas with babies that you're getting up in the middle of the night wondering how on earth your Providing husband food for sleep their babies. Yeah. <laughs> how has my husband sleep through this? That's a season. It will pass. There, is, there are seasons in motherhood. And so if you read this and you feel overwhelmed and it just makes you feel shame, can I release you of that today? Can, can Jesus release you of that today? Um, because there's moments where you've, maybe you're not in the workforce now, but you have a career and you put it on hold that Jesus, you, but you, you've laid it here. That's not a forever either, maybe. That maybe your next season is this. Maybe your next season is folding t-shirts and selling merchants and all.
but you can relax and know that you're just doing what's right in front of you right now with That's the season. It. It's right in front of you right now. Yeah. You've got to put the past behind you, you know, and, and move forward. And my encouragement would be to always lean into who Jesus is. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. And he will give you what you need. Just lean into him. And I'm a practical person. And I mean leaning into him saying, God, show me how to do this. Tell me what to do here. I don't know what to do. I've tried, even with discipline for kids, I've tried to do things and it hasn't worked. Show me what to do. He's answered me on those, on those things. He's yeah. answered me when I didn't know whether take, keeping... We, we had a tour with Rebecca in about 1996, might have been 98, where I say we were on the road for 13 months. And it wasn't literally 13 months, but it was pretty close. And we were homeschooling. And, and I, I ended up just feeling like, gosh, are these kids going to get to the end of their schooling years and just be like, Mum, what did you do to us? I mean, we are so <laughs> messed up that just, you know, we should have been learning this stuff instead of doing, setting up lights and PA. What, do you, what did you do? Now we're going to have to go back and study it, you know, the, to make up for all you didn't teach us. And so I was overwhelmed even to knowing how to set schoolwork. Like, what is my expectation as their mum, as their teacher, for, a year, for this year? Like, that's a long time in a child's life. And so I went to Jesus and I just said, gosh, I have no idea what this year's going to look like. I know we've got to step forward. I know we've got to do it. But I don't even know what work to set. Well, I, I said, you're going to have to show me that this is okay. And he gave me a promise and he said, I'll teach them what they need to know. And he gave that to me in that depth of your soul where you just know it's from him. Mm. And I stood on that promise. And every time I was a bit concerned, I'd say, well, you did say that you would teach them what they need to know. But I'm on the other side now. We've got all adult kids all doing what I feel God's called them to do. And he's been faithful. He's been faithful to teach them. And I, so my encouragement to each of you, if you don't know what the next step looks like, pray. Yeah. Well, look, if you guys want to know more about that, by the way, Helen was super uncomfortable with like bringing books and she just, this is their church. So she didn't want to feel like what a, so this is, this is the artist manager in me, but it's also a pastor saying that, look, she actually, I've read this and there's a, you don't even have to know the people mentioning it, but this book is full of so much wisdom for moms and for dads. So they've got some copies out front that you can take with you. Um, would you stand to your feet and Helen, could you pray mm -hmm. for our church family this morning? Uh, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each of the homes that are represented here. I thank you for the moms, the dads, the children. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to each one of us. Each of us has a special story that you're writing and we just pray that you will lead us, you will guide us. Pray for a covering over each of these homes, that your Holy Spirit would fill it, that you'd protect the relationship between husband and wife. Open their eyes to see how you can lead them and guide them in their journey. And we thank you for this morning that we've shared together and we just give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.